0: five four three two one zero all engine running off. we have a liftoff
1: and welcome back into the bam on three show this is your host clint lamb sitting here once again with jimmy stein jimmy how are we doing on this monday morning uh, i'm guessing not quite as as good as we've done or been doing every other monday morning that we've recorded this but How are we doing nonetheless?
0: I am looking forward to seeing how Alabama responds to such a disappointing performance. I know the players were every bit as disappointed. Uh, You know, I I think the players were more disappointed than even the fans. And are they going to kind of wallow in self-pity? Or or are we going to see some uh, intensity on defense? Are we going to see some improvement I'm really anxious to see Alabama's attitude next Saturday.
1: Yeah, I am too. And we'll kind of go ahead and dive right in to kind of everything and and just peel back the layers bit by bit uh, as we you know work through this. Alabama loses number three. Alabama loses to number six Tennessee, fifty-two to forty-nine. At various points, they had gotten down twenty-one to seven, twenty-eight to ten. Uh, we're able to fight and claw their way back into the game and ultimately end up coming short, up short. Alabama's kicker mi- misses a field goal. Tennessee's doesn't. My question here, to, just to start, because it feels like last year and this year, we've kind of approached things with a historic, you know, through a historic lens. You know, how does Alabama typically handle situations, right? Like, you know, the, the Jimbo Fisher thing, for example. All offseason, it was man, you're taking shots at Alabama's coach. Uh, he's going to take it personally. The players are going to take it personally and they're going to take it out on you. And they're going to, you know, they're going to slaughter you. Didn't happen. Uh, you didn't see Alabama playing with his chip on their shoulder where they just wanted to absolutely dominate, you know, Texas A&M. Uh, You You talk about going into the year. One of my big arguments going into Texas was hey, I think that this is a chance for Alabama to make a statement that proves this is not the same team as last year. You know, last year they, they went on the road. They'd struggle. You know, this is a different team, and I think that that was a great opportunity for them to go out there and prove it. They didn't do that. They go out there and they struggle. They have 15 penalties against Texas. Things didn't go well. It felt like that everybody was rattled, pretty much everybody but Bryce Young in that football game. And my point here is we keep saying, you know, based off of the old Alabama, oh, they would take this personally, or, oh, man, they're going to be – you know, uh, Texas A&M, the way they beat Alabama last year, you know, a revenge game, you know, all these motivational factors, that's really, it, it felt like driven Alabama in the past. It doesn't seem like that affects them at all. Uh, nowadays, like it doesn't affect their play as far as motivating them or creating some sort of edge, like going into this Tennessee game. The big argument was everybody's picking against Alabama, the, 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 the higher ranked team, uh, everybody's counting them out after the Texas A&M game. All everybody's picking an upset this weekend. I think Alabama's going to come out and make a statement here. They didn't. They were had seventeen penalties. They got down by multiple scores, almost three scores. Yeah, I guess it. Yeah, I guess it was three scores when it was twenty eight to ten. Uh, so I mean, it's it just feels like that Alabama doesn't play with that chip on its shoulder in a lot of these situations that we've seen in the past. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well. We're not used to seeing Alabama's Tennessee impose their will on Alabama. I mean, they did what they wanted to do against Alabama. We're not used to seeing anything like that. We're not used to, uh, you know, Alabama has generally been the team that's imposed their will. Whether it was the old uh, make their ass quit Alabama offense, whether it's been the Nick Saban defense, which has been the best in football over the past two years, five years, eight years, 10 years, 16 years. Uh, Tennessee really, you know, when you look at all of the Alabama losses, Clint, all 16, I think Nick Saban's lost around 16 games at Alabama now. I don't recall any of the 16 losses being, being exactly in this manner. Uh, A couple of teams have blown Alabama out like Clemson in 2018 for the national championship. But in terms of Tennessee doing on offense, exactly what they wanted to do and Alabama had no answer for it in 60 minutes that is what sort of has I'm still sort of in shock over it really because it was so not what I expected to see not what anybody has seen before and just the fact that Alabama gave up the most points they have in 115 years as a result of it uh it's it, it, I'm still in some level of shock over it, but again, I'm I'm anxious to see how Alabama responds.
1: Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I felt the same way because that was the big thing. You know, everybody was talking about Alabama's defense against Tennessee's offense. And that was really the key battle that was going to take place. That was going to determine the game. I was kind of approaching it the exact opposite way. You know, I thought Tennessee with the way that they scheme their offense you know, with the personnel that they have, they're going to get theirs. What I didn't take into account was just how much, but we'll get to that in a second. I knew that they were going to be able to put up points and score. I don't care how elite Alabama's defense is. You know, Alabama's offense in the SEC championship game, it was an elite offense last year, but it had huge problems with its offensive line. Its running back group was completely depleted. You had a a way less than 100% Brian Robinson at running back. And the elite offense still pretty much had its way with Georgia's defense for the most part. So, this idea that Alabama was going to shut down Tennessee or do anything that was going to make you think, you know, 17 points or, you know, even 20 points, I thought 20 was like the floor. And I think my score prediction was 37 to 27 because I did, re- you know, really respect where Alabama's defense was heading or what I thought it was. And I thought, you know, hey, 27 is still a lot of points, but at the same time, being at home for Tennessee and the fact that that, you know, offense has been so dynamic and stuff. I feel like t- uh, 27 would be a heck of a win for Alabama, but I didn't have this illusion that Alabama was going to shut them down. I was more so looking at it from the other way. It will all be dictated based off of does Jalen Milro start and how limited is Alabama's offense if he does? Can they put up 28 points or more? Or if Bryce Young does play, how healthy is he? How well can he operate the offense? And what will that allow the offense to do as far as generating points? really that's not a concern and we'll talk about the offense there's we're not not all going to be negative uh but really it all came down to Alabama could not stop Tennessee you know offensively or Alabama's defense could not stop Tennessee in their offense that to me uh, it was concerning at the time it still is concerning because I don't really know how you combat things and that's kind of where I always I'm not going to try to hop on and do a lot of complaining for no reason. I'm more of a, hey, let's focus on the the solution, not the problem. And the problem with that is that I haven't really found anything that I really like as far as a solution. So essentially, and there's a lot of uh, nuance to what was happening, right? Because Tennessee was letting Alabama pick their poison and and Alabama fans should be plenty familiar with this because I, Alabama's offenses have done the same thing to defenses for years. Or at least in recent years, because they they could beat you in so many different ways. They had first round receivers all over the place. Hey, you want to take away this guy or this guy? Okay, we'll hit we'll take, you know, this guy or this guy. You want to stop the pass, you know, uh, commit eight guys to the pass, dropping eight. Fine. We got Najee Harris, we got Brian Robinson, we got, you know, Josh Jacobs, we got all these other guys that we can we'll just run the football at you and have a ton of success that way. Uh, you wanna commit a bunch of guys to stopping Najee Harris? you know, like Ohio state did in the national title game a couple of years ago. That's fine. Devonte Smith will go for, you know, 200 yards in a, in a national title game against you, you know, so it's, it's always been, there's no way to stop everything. And I don't think Alabama fans fully realized Tennessee's receivers, especially without Cedric Tillman, they have enough playmakers all over the place where they're going to be able to win when you create the correct matchups. They have a stable of running backs, a couple of running backs that are really good football players that can run the football, especially when you would give them space by spreading the defense out the way that Tennessee was. You have a quarterback that is accurate, he's smart with the football, and he's mobile. So it's kind of the, I would kind of compare it to maybe like the 2019 LSU game where that, that offense could attack you in so many different ways because they got dynamic play at the quarterback position, he was mobile, and he could throw the football, he was mobile enough. And he certainly made Alabama pay with his legs, you know, a couple of times in that game. You had like a Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. I don't know if Tennessees will win the Joe Moore award, but they certainly look like they would on Saturday, you know, based off their performance against Alabama's pass rush. Uh, LSU clearly had better receivers across the board with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Terrace Marshall. But at the same time, you know, Jalen Hyatt was dynamic. They created the matchups they wanted, and they were able to have a, a ton of success offensively.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, it, it's just imposing their will, and by that I don't mean necessarily physically, but like it's so obvious from watching that when Tennessee watched tape of Alabama and and they came up with a game plan, obviously it was said in the room, we need to get we need to get two on eleven, me- me- meaning we we've got to scheme a way to where they're in man. And their number two is covering our number 11. They, they clearly wanted that to happen more than anything else. Not only did they make it happen once, not only did they make it twice, they made it happen multiple times throughout the game. And it never stopped working. I've, I really have never seen Alabama, particularly Alabama's defense, taken advantage of in that way. And before people overreact, I think people have overreacted to, to, to number two's performance and, and, and given up the scores. I, I do think we ought to realize fo- there is no sport like football where recency effect takes over, which means for whatever reason, we can only remember what happened in the last game and that's all that mattered, what happened last time we played. But, but number two has been our starting safety for more than two seasons. And we've never talked about him like this before. It's not, if he wasn't a good football player, we would have had this discussion a long time ago. But he is a good football player. But Tennessee saw something in his game that Tennessee liked and felt they could exploit, and they did. And others may try to mimic this. I do think Tennessee is uniquely suited to take advantage, and they did. But, again, I think even after Alabama plays another game, Clint, I'm still going to be in some level of shock. Like, did that really happen? Uh, I, I mean, in terms of Tennessee exploiting uh, a liability uh, to that extent uh, for 60 minutes.
1: Well, and, and, and how did they get two you know, isolated uh, you know, or, or get 11 isolated on two? You know, first off, I want to say, what, what makes DeMarco Hellens a good player? You know, is it his coverage ability? Is it his range? No, none of those things. He's not this guy. He's not Deontay Thompson. You know, he's not going to be a guy who's going to be able to have this elite range. But more so than that, it was the way that they spread out Alabama. Typically, like their inside receiver is lined up where an outside receiver typically would be, which is either, you know, right inside of the numbers. And then they have their actual outside receiver outside of the numbers. That creates so much more space to operate. Now, first of all, when you're talking about box play, you're creating situations, and this is what Tennessee did. They said, Alabama, how do you want to get beat? You know, it, Because there was, there was a hurry-up situation at one point in the game where back-to-back plays, Alabama, of course, they had their nickel package out there. They lined up in one situation on one down. They lined up five defenders in the box, and Tennessee ran the football. They said that we, this is a favorable matchup. Five offensive linemen, five Alabama you know, defenders in the box were running it. They had success. They immediately go hurry up. Alabama counters, same personnel, wasn't able to change. They just brought an extra defender to make it six in the box. Tennessee says, okay, you got six in the box. That means you got five in coverage, essentially, on our you know four receivers that we got. We're going to throw the football now. And they had success doing it that way. They let Alabama dictate how they wanted to get beat. And I know that that is very – it's like how does – how, how does that happen? But it's because Tennessee had the ability and the, the playmakers to make that happen. And how do they get two in the matchup that they wanted when they would go essentially four wide receivers or, you know, sometimes it was a tight end because of the way that Alabama had to play it, whether they were playing nickel or Dom, they they counter, they started with nickel and then they ended up countering it with Dom to try to at least get a better cover man than DeMarco Hellams on You know, their their slot receiver, which was typically uh, on one side, it was going to be Jalen Hyatt. But they did it because there was nobody else. I mean, right? I mean, in those situations, on one side, you're to cover the two receivers. If you're in man, you're going to have your perimeter boundary corner, and you're going to have your star, which is Brian Branch. On the other side, when you're in nickel, there's only five defensive backs in the field. So you go corner on one, and one of your two safeties has to. And that was Helms, and they were making sure that they were there was times where it was like trips, and even when Alabama decided to counter and go with its dime package to try to fix that, they were still able to get DeMarco Helms into coverage on Jalen Hyatt. By They had trips to one side. It was a three-by-one. They put one guy in motion. He goes to the other side. Brian Branch is covering the inside man. He, he goes with him until he reaches the line of scrimmage or, or t- until he reaches the tackle, I guess, the tackle box and then he kind of stays as a shallow linebacker off the line of scrimmage a little bit, and then DeMarco Hellams has to roll down and cover the the receiver that's now, it, it goes from being a three-by-one to a two-by-two. Two. So you get these situations where Alabama did not have a choice. Like, there's nothing else they can do. Now, I've seen where people have said, you need to get another corner, another true corner on the field. And I think when you you spread them out th- as much as Tennessee was, essentially DeMarco Hellums, even though he's playing off the ball quite a bit, he's essentially a, a cover corner at that point. He's now doing something that he's not comfortable doing at all. He's better closer to the line of scrimmage. He's better coming downhill. And you've got him turn, having to turn and run vertically with a guy that he has no business trying to keep up with as far as you know vertical speed. And so it was a great way to attack Alabama's defense. But if you put that extra corner out there, That will help in those situations, but Tennessee can immediately counter, go with more traditional spread looks, you know, where it's, you don't have that spacing. It's, it's, it's the normal spacing that you would get. And now you've got a, a true cover corner. Who's not a great run defender. Eli Ricks is not a great run defender. You know, if he's playing inside on one of those guys, they bring it into a typical, you know, look. Now you're looking at a situation where he's having to maybe try to hold up against the run as an inside player, because. Alabama, the reason they like their star, a lot of NFL teams, their nickel guy is a a third corner. It's Warner. typically an undersized corner because he's got to be smaller, more athletic, shiftier, great change of direction because he's having to cover slot receivers. But Alabama, the way they like to do it because they like having the blitzing ability, they like the run stopping ability and and the run support that a guy like Brian Branch or, or Malachi Moore provides. They're not as good in coverage, though. And so this is where you find yourself in a dilemma. And I just thought the Tennessee did a great job of attacking Alabama's defense.
0: No, absolutely right. And great points about the makeup of, of of the secondary and about how Alabama likes the corner, the the nickel corner, the star to be a safety. I, I'm a bigger fan of, of that being a cornerback. Who am I to disagree with Coach Saban? But the NFL does that. I mean, the NFL – Generally, that slot corner is is a is a is a, is a real cornerback, but uh, and sometimes it has been at Alabama. It hasn't been a safety every time, um, you know. Javier Arenas, for instance, was I think one of the best stars Alabama's ever had. He was an excellent blitzer, uh, but you know, one you know, you mentioned, Rick's. Uh, I, I don't personally believe that Alabama needs personnel changes back there i mean for instance i mean you know terry rick's hadn't played because he hadn't beat out terry on arnold i mean that's why rick's sitting out there he hadn't beat out arnold arnold uh along with kool-aid mckinstry wasn't bad against uh tennessee uh i think kool-aid was only targeted one time i think uh i read that terry and arnold was only targeted five times and gave up three receptions uh the problem was the safeties and I don't think. Uh, I really don't. Uh, it's it's a better question for Nick and whether he believes it. But I don't think you can position change someone at this point in the season. Teach Rick safety. Move Rick's to another spot. My understanding is he's had a, a difficult time enough learning the one spot. He's been there for for nine months. You know, uh, and again, I don't know that that's true. But but I I've heard that. Um, I think what Alabama needs to do is improve what they've got right now, which has been really good. Alabama's defense was putting up really good numbers before this weekend. Some of this, again, was the uniqueness of the matchup. I really believe that. And should Alabama run into Tennessee again, which is possible, uh, the changes Alabama makes defensively will be incredibly interesting. But I don't believe it will be personnel. I think it would be X's and O's.
1: Well, and here, here's the thing. Um, I really hope that I explained all that before well enough, because I started realizing, I'm like, man, trying to explain all this without a board. Like, if I had a, a dry race board, I could explain this all way better. Uh, I hope people were understanding right. what I was trying to say. My point with that before was, if you do put a third corner, true corner out there, they can mm-hmm. play you in a more traditional way. And now your your that corner is going to be lining up essentially as where your star would be and then they could attack that guy with the run game, which is what I feel like they would have countered and did. But at the same time, where I think Alabama loses this matchup was the pass rush, because if they're able to effectively generate a pass rush, it throws a wrinkle into everything Tennessee's trying to do. Everybody's blaming Malachi Moore and DeMarco Helms and those guys for their performance. I more so put it on Alabama's inability to be able to create any sort of consistent pressure, really any pressure. I mean, I wouldn't even say it was inconsistent. It was almost non-existent. And that, to me, because when when he's got all the time in the world, you can let those things develop, those shots develop downfield without any repercussions. You're not taking shot after shot. Uh, you're not being forced. You know, what happened the one time that Will Anderson – was able to to apply pressure and collapse the pocket on Hidden Hookery. Threw an interception to Demarco Hellums, the guy that they were trying. Guess what? They were trying to target Demarco again, and guess what? He got an interception instead of getting burned because he's he's limited. He's a lot more limited athletically than J- Jalen freaking Hyatt. And, and people are like, oh, he's terrible. He's I mean, come on. Uh, it's like I I don't I don't understand that. He's he's put in a position where he can't be successful. And I will say, Pete Golding and Nick Saban. This this isn't just Golding. They both tried to make adjustments and they decided to say, Hey, let's take a defender, another defender out of the box. Let's stop going nickel with two linebackers, and four defensive linemen. Let's go dom with four defensive linemen and one linebacker. And well, that's going to present more opportunities to run the football. But they were trying to get creative and, and getting Brian Branch as close to the line of scrimmage as possible uh, to where maybe, you know, he could help provide a little bit of run support off the edge if he needed to. But you put Malachi Moore out there, the problem that I have with the dime package and you get the money out there, you've essentially just put out another safety, right? So now you've got three safeties on the field and safeties are great, but are they cover corners? You know, they're not. Uh, So it's still a mismatch. You know, you need to have like a very rangy safety, a guy who can, you know, an, an Eddie Jackson would be the kind of player that you would want in that situation. I don't think Alabama has any Eddie Jackson's, uh, and, and granted, I've kind of thought about Kyrie Jackson because we've talked about him with his physicality and the way that he plays. You know, could he survive at safety? Could he survive at star? Uh, but he's also got plenty of perimeter cornerback experience where if you're putting him in that situation, guess what? He's also gotten burned quite a bit. National title game. This year he's gotten burned in the Texas game. So let's not act like putting him out there is going to completely solve your issues. These guys can get beat vertically as well. But it's... uh you know, it, at least it puts a guy who's got a lot more coverage ability than maybe one of your true safeties or guys who really probably should be playing safety in a Malachi Moore or a a Brian Branch. You know, it puts somebody that's got a little bit more offers, a little bit more in that area on the field. And and Branch, I think, played fine. I don't think he played great. But, I mean, he had several splash plays. The fourth down stop w- was incredible. But I don't know. I know that we spent a lot of time talking about this in particular, but it's just a big question that people have had. And and my struggles is I keep thinking, okay, if I was in Tennessee's shoes, and Alabama did this, how would I counter? And this is how I would do it. And then it becomes like a, I don't think it it would have maybe solved a little bit of what you were getting as far as the explosive plays, but I think it would have presented a lot more opportunities to a run game that had a lot more success than I think people realize. For some odd reason, I've seen uh, multiple Alabama fans on Twitter tell me that Tennessee didn't have a lot of success running the football, which is completely inaccurate. They pretty much ran the football how they wanted to. They didn't have a lot of explosive plays with it, but if they wanted four or five yards, six yards, seven yards, they were getting it, and they were getting it a lot more than they weren't. And if you, you know, Alabama decided, hey, we'd rather that happen than the explosive plays, so they took a defender out of the box by going from nickel to dom, and you know that continued to allow success. But Tennessee being able to create first down success too really opened things up. They go, you know, tempo momentum. Uh, and they kind of ch- kept generating that into chunk yardage, playing off the first down run success. Uh, so I thought that was big. So I would say the front seven to me, uh, or their, I wasn't the front seven, but their front was a lot more concerning than the back half of their defense. So, is there anything else that you want to add?
0: Just uh, throwing in penalty yards. You know, uh, it, it. You know, Alabama had more penalty yards than rushing yards. Yet I thought Alabama ran the ball okay. They did. <laughs> You know, Alabama ran the ball okay and still had more yards and penalties than rushing yards. Uh, and, and, I, and I know we're talking about Alabama's defense, but w- what I mean by that is I'm not used to an Alabama team getting penalized to this degree to the point I've never really asked myself. What effect does penalty yards have on outcome and offense and defense? But the fact of the matter is 130 yards, Clint, that's 13 first downs. 13 first downs were gifted to Tennessee. And it's amazing to me that Alabama could give them 13 first downs by gift, then allow what they allowed. And then there was questionable officials calls. And you add all that up and they lost by three points. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's probably when you look at it that way, Clint, the craziest Alabama football game of all time.
1: They've had 32 penalties in two road games this year, 32, an average of 16 a game. And they won one of those games and they only lost the other one by three. They had another game where they had four turnovers, two missed field goals, and they were playing with a backup quarterback and they won that football game. The fact that they're six and one right now is kind of remarkable. Because that that they're not doing they're not playing what Nick Saban would call winning football. They're just not doing it. Now, granted, in some of these games, when they needed to make plays and get stuff done, they have Bryce Young at the end of the Texas game, avoiding that sack like he did and and being able to escape and, and create with his legs. And, you know, obviously that led to the game winning field goal. But, you know, the penalties are a huge issue. And I will be the first one to admit. I've never been one about blaming refs, and 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 so when I see fans saying, "Oh, you know, this is the refs' fault," Alabama did so many things in that football game that you know helped them lose the football game rather than help them win it. You can only carry the ref argument so far, but if you're asking me, do I think that some of those calls were questionable? I think a lot of those calls were question were questionable. Alabama still reaching double digits on penalties that they. Fully earned, which is still a massive problem. But there are at least four, five, maybe even six, where I say I don't understand. And that's where, you know, if if I can say that myself, then if fans are, because fans are going to take that and they're going to kind of run with it. They're going to feel that emotion a lot more. But I can feel the frustration on some of them. I'll tell you right now, the interception by Kool-Aid McKinstry that was returned. uh, I'm in the press box. You know, I watched the interception happen. I didn't even follow Kool-Aid. You know, everybody else is watching him run That the camera. You know, people at home, they're watching him, you know, wh- what's he doing? And, he, and the, the, the return was a pretty big return after the interception, right? right. Uh, me, the, all I did was keep looking towards the right goal line, looking for a flag. And I did it for a while, and I didn't see one. And then right before Kool-Aid ended up stepping out of bounds, my eyes went from the goal line, you know, ensuring there wasn't a flag to to kool-aid and then as i'm doing that i noticed they, there was a flag on the 40 yard line roughly you know 35 40 45 somewhere around there and i turn to people I, I was sitting next to and i was like there's a flag down this is probably going to be coming back because with the location of the flag kind of told me more than likely Black. it's a block in the back and i think it was a, a, a an illegal blonde side block maybe is what they actually ended up calling but i was like it's probably going to be a block in the back it's coming back but i never questioned the interception but as I in the amount of time that it took me to turn and say, hey, there's a flag, I think this is coming back from a block in the back, they'd say, wait, there's two flags in the field. And so when I turned, by that point, in just that small amount of time, a flag was now down there near the goal line. To me, that was very strange because I'm like, wait a minute, you're telling me that this whole play developed. I mean, it, there, was, there was so much time between the, the interception happened, the return happened enough time where a completely separate penalty took place, that ref had time to get his flag out and throw it before the other ref threw his flag for something completely different. That, to me, was, I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. And then I didn't realize that other people wouldn't notice that. You know, everybody else was following Kool-Aid. It was it was strange. That, that to me, was weird. You know, I also thought, you know, that the targeting was weird. Uh, everybody in the box was like, yeah, that's definitely targeting. Let's move on. You're, you're you're talking about it on the message boards. Um, you're, you know, tweeting about it. You're doing all this stuff. You see it a one time is all it took for me. I'm like, yeah, that's targeting. Okay, you know, where does it go from here? And then they don't call it. I can understand fans' frustrations with some of those fluky, weird things. The fact that you can't count to four is, is baffling to me. You know, the fact that everybody in that stadium, I mean, I, I, I don't know. You were watching it from your house, I guess, or from home or somewhere else, were you questioning whether it was third or fourth down? Were you confused by that?
0: No, I was not confused whatsoever. I mean, I had no confusion at all. I mean, to me, I was astounded by it. And that, to me, I can see it happening in the game because obviously the guy on the sideline messed it up on, on the third down marker. And that apparently created great confusion, but it's just so indicative of how that crew struggled all day. I mean, the, the, so so on top of all the missed calls and the too many flags and the not enough flags on the other team, now you've got a we can't count to four thing that has to be reviewed forever. CBS, because you didn't see this in the press box, CBS already whipped through the plays and showed the TV audience, well, here's first down, here's second, here's third, and here's fourth. They looked at it a whole nother two minutes on the field while CBS had already whipped through it to to show that it was actually fourth down. And the biggest evidence of all that 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 it was fourth down is Josh Heupel never complained. He knew it was down. He knew he was going for it on fourth down. He was aware. He never complained or at least visibly complained about, hey, that was actually third down or you guys told us it was third down, so that's not fair. he he was quiet
1: the whole time. He was it, confused it, of the rest of us, I think, but uh, just like most home crowds, the Tennessee fans booed and complained about every call that went against them, except that one. there was no booing after that. It was like, okay, all right, let's can we get back to the football game? I think we all we all know that this was fourth down right. and And what I find and sometimes things look a little fishy and it's just unfortunate timing. and I think that's what is going on here. But from a fan's perspective that's going to be looking for the, oh, the the refs are against us or they're against us, I mean, it's pretty compelling when there's a huge momentum change based off of them trying to catch Alabama off guard. It was third and six. Alabama's got their cheetah package out there. Tennessee says, hey, we're going to try to catch them off guard here. We're going to run the football because it's not a package that you want out there when, you know, trying to stop the run. So they ran it. They, I think they picked up maybe like four yards on the play, and then it became like fourth and two very quickly. And then from there, they said, we're. and the reason that they were willing to run it on third and six is they knew they were going forward on fourth. That was already in their mind. So now it's fourth and short. They run tempo. Alabama would love to get more of a run-stopping package out there, or at least like it's Nickel Rabbits package. There's kind of a, a little bit of a balance of both. Uh, you You add a little bit more beef in there. Tennessee didn't want them to have that ability, so they go tempo. It's fourth and two. It's now another. You know, it's like a downward. It's like they could run the football, especially against this front. And then I think they try to catch all of them off guard by making it look like that was the plan, and then throwing the football there. And Brian Branch made a hell of a play to stop it. But then what happens? You know, you get all this excitement, and momentum, and then it's goes stand on the sidelines for ten minutes and let them sort this whole thing out. It killed every bit of the momentum that had been generated from essentially creating a turnover. You know, a turnover on downs. So it was what i it just to me it was a lot of that stuff that just seemed very unfortunate timing that's gonna make it look like it's something that it probably isn't uh the flag you know to me uh you know down in the goal lines, like I said, when I looked in, and just thought about it for a second, I'm like, how did all this other stuff transpire before a flag was th- was thrown was mind blowing to me, but that i mean I, for whatever reason it, it could have been that ref being like I'm pretty sure that was passing interference. it could have just been indecisiveness or I don't know. I, I'm not going to speculate on the on the why behind anything because I don't know definitively. But fans certainly had you know a gripe as far as the officiating, and I hate that because I don't I don't like when other people do it. I don't like when you know refs get the but some, and and refs in every single game they're going to make terrible calls, and there's always going to be a team. Really, sometimes a lot of a lot of times. Both teams walk out of a game thinking they were screwed by the refs, whether that you won or you lost, You're like, man, we won this in spite of the refs, screwing us on X and X. And then you've got the other team being like, we lost this because of those guys, but you know, there's bad calls in every game. It's just, to me, it was so, so consistently bad where, you know, was it against Alabama or were that were they against Alabama? I don't, but I think it was just incompetency to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you that it's incompetence. It's just rare in my experience That the incompetence all seems so one sided. Yeah, that's true. And let me say that this same same as you, Clint Alabama made enough mistakes to lose this game, even if the game had been officiated perfectly. Assuming a referee missed not one single call in the entire game, Alabama still made more than enough mistakes to lose the game. Alabama didn't lose because of the officials. Alabama lost that game on their own. Tennessee won the game on their own. So I am not intending to cheapen Tennessee's win in any way. They deserve to break the 15-year streak. They made the plays when it counted. They made the plays at the end. They had a magnificent offensive game plan. And all credit to Tennessee. Now, that's it. Now, my, my official's ran is this. If you are so flag happy that you are – that Alabama's penalized 17 times, an all time school record. So the official showed, hey, this is a, a crew that's going to throw a flag. They're going to throw flags. They threw 17 of them on Alabama. Then how in the world do you twice miss blatant roughing the passer calls? Blatant roughing the passer. That's not holding. That's not motion. That's not offside. That's not even pass interference calls are hard. Roughing the passer is pretty easy. Now, I know it's hard in the NFL because right now you can't, you know, fart in the general direction of a quarterback and you're going to get called for, for, for a flag. But I'm talking about Bryce Young being hit in the head. And we could argue targeting forever. Targeting is complicated. Maybe it's targeting. Maybe it's not targeting. Then we got to roll out this list of eight factors we got to look at to decide if it's targeting. Forget all that. Roughing the passer has been around forever. Even before targeting, you couldn't hit the quarterback in the head. You couldn't do that before targeting. He was clearly struck in the head twice, no calls. On the day, you threw 17 flags against just one team. And that's, that's what frustrates the heck out of me. You're clearly flag happy. Then here's the most blatant, obvious player safety foul, which are the most important things officials do, is keep the players safe, that that is what infuriates me. Not the 17 fouls on Alabama, those two fouls that were not called on Tennessee.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, you see this a lot, man. And Bryce Young was hurt going into the game. Typically, you know, the refs aren't going to give him extra protection, but they are going to, you know, because you've got certain teams, whether it's talked about or not, that, you know, might have that kind of bounty gate mentality. You're not paying players to do anything to hurt anybody, but it's like, hey, let's uh, let's make sure we get to the quarterback and let's make sure, you know, we, we give him some good licks because he's borderline, man, and we can force him out and this game changes if you go from Bryce Young to Jalen Milrow. I'm not saying Tennessee did that at all. I'm saying teams can. So when you know a guy's hurt, you're paying extra attention to him, saying, hey, we want to keep him extra protected, make sure that nobody's doing anything extra that's going to try to force an injury on him and you still are, are not giving him the benefit of the doubt on any of that stuff, and you're not noticing it. You know, it's it's things like that that that's strange. And it's the fact that all right, we uh I, I didn't pay attention to the shot clock well enough. Uh delay of game on, on my part. Um we've been
0: flagged again.
1: Yeah. The, a, penalty number 18. Uh it's still going. Um, but anyways, we yeah, we are talking about penalties, and we'll kind of move on from that. There's only so much that you can talk about with that. Let's talk about some of the good. Let's talk about Bryce Young and the fact that this was a guy that we weren't even sure if he was going to be able to play in this game. Uh, we didn't know if he would be 100%. Not only does he come out there and start, he's throwing the football around from the very first snap. You know, I want to say, the, the, did they even have a, a, a running attempt? I think after the first down they did. But I want to say the first couple of plays, it was throw, throw, um, maybe throw, run, throw. But the point here is that he ended up attempting 52 passes. He threw for 455 yards, and he threw for two touchdowns. Phenomenal performance from Bryce Young.
0: Yeah, uh, man, I, even in the loss, I mean, I was going to say this, uh, if, if Alabama came back and won, but it doesn't matter whether the, whether the team won, won or not. Bryce, to me, there probably wasn't too many doubts before, but to me, Bryce removed all doubt. He's the best quarterback I've ever seen at Alabama. Uh, that's saying a lot more today than it was five years ago or 10 years ago. Uh, but I, I mean it. I, I, Bryce, a better quarterback than Tua, better than Mac, better than Jalen, better than Namath, better than Stabler, better than all of them. He, and, and, and I thought he emphatically proved that. Uh, Saturday on the road, Bryce played well enough to come back and win the game. His, uh, not all of his teammates did, but he did. Uh, un, un, unbelievable performance by the best quarterback I've ever seen at Alabama.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. He was the better quarterback on Saturday, in my opinion. I, I really believe that. And Hinden Hooker was incredible. Absolutely incredible. But a lot of his success, he he, he threw the football where he needed to. But it was it was scheme based, right? It was matchups, getting the matchups you want. It's guys running wide open because you got Jalen Hyatt, who's got some vertical speed going against the safety, beautiful passes. Don't get me wrong. And there was some other stuff, Uh, you know, some other passes where it's like great accuracy uh, did throw the interception. But, you know, for the most part against that Alabama defense was able to protect the football and help Tennessee win. But Bryce was creating, you know, there were so many times where it just seemed like nothing was there it was him you know eluding defenders and creating more time keeping his eyes downfield just an incredible performance one of the best performances i've ever seen from him uh period and that this was coming off of two weeks of not throwing the football which is pretty miraculous when you think about it maybe maybe he shouldn't throw the football at all this week uh in practice maybe they should just say you know what let's 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 restaurant for for game days uh from here on out um that would probably be the wildest thing of all time but I don't know. It, it seemed to work for him on this. It, it the arm seemed fresh. He seemed healthy. He took some shots. Didn't seem to bother him. Uh, I think every Alabama fan, when he would get tackled and stuff, was was paying attention to whether he was falling on his left shoulder, his back, or his right shoulder. I know I certainly was, you know, paying attention to it just from a uh, you know an observational, uh, you know, what what it would mean if he got you know reaggravated the injury. But just a great performance. You had a great performance, you know, out of Jameer Gibbs. Does his numbers adequately reflect the impact that he had on the football game? I mean, he did a total over 100 yards. He had three touchdowns, and he actually had over 150 total yards because he added 48, you know, through the air. And he had 29 total touches, 24 carries, five receptions. So volume for sure. That was very encouraging to see. I was kind of worried. You know, we had seen this, his role transition when Jalen Milrow became the starting quarterback. And he was a lot more heavily involved as far as his touches. And he had been doing phenomenal things with it. And then Bryce comes back, and you know they're going to sling the football around, assuming that he was healthy enough. And it was like, okay, does Jameer Gibbs, does he kind of revert back to that old role where he was getting, you know, 11, you know, 12 touches a game? Uh, And no, Uh, they found a way to get Bryce Young 52 pass attempts, and they still managed to get Jameer Gibbs almost 30 touches. And he was utilized a lot more in the passing game than he was with Jalen Milrose, the uh, starter at quarterback or playing quarterback. So they got him more so back involved as a receiver. They also made sure he was getting plenty of carries. His yards per carry, was it phenomenal? No, it's 4.3. He barely averaged over four yards of carry. He had, you know, one explosive run. I think it was like for like 26 or 27 yards. So it didn't provide the, the big play pop to the same degree, but man, he made some incredible plays, making guys miss. And it's just, you know, it was really the only knock on him that I would say from, that you could even remotely, because I thought in pass protection, he was solid too. He's really getting better in that area. And I, no, he's not getting better. He is better. He's a lot better. Um, it would be the drop. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, some people don't agree with the whole throwing it three times when you got down there into the goal line. They make the argument that, you know, Tennessee had some timeouts and if Alabama would have ran it, they just would have called a timeout. I don't think that's necessarily true. I, I really don't. You know, if if, uh, if Alabama runs the football and you create, you know, you stop them at the, the line of scrimmage, uh, it was still a long field goal. What Tennessee doesn't want to do because there just wasn't a whole lot of time is they don't want to blow all their timeouts, you know, and give Alabama extra time. You know what I'm saying? It's like you call a timeout. Now Alabama gets to figure out exactly what they want to do from a play-calling perspective. Um, and then you, let's say you do get the ball back. Alabama does kick a field goal because they've been able to have more offensive success because they've had time to think about the kind of plays they want to run and stuff. And now you get the football with, you know, three seconds left or something or 10 seconds or, you know, whatever it ends up being. And you weren't, you don't have any of your timeouts. Like what helped Tennessee was the fact that Alabama threw the football, allowed them to preserve their timeouts. And then when they did get the football with 15 seconds, they're like, wait a minute, we'll take one shot. You know, if if we can hit a pretty big play here, we'll definitely play for a field goal. We'll try to make it work. If they don't do that, I think on that first down, I don't think they're risking throwing the football and stuff. And I certainly don't think they're trying. If they have 15 seconds with no timeouts or one timeout or whatever it ends up being, I don't think they're trying to attempt getting down the field. I think they're settling for overtime at that point. Jimmy, what were your thoughts on Jameer Gibbs and his performance?
0: Uh, I mean, he remains uh, far and away. Alabama's most dynamic skill player that's not Bryce uh he's he's a dynamic uh Gary Danielson compared him to Alvin Kamara again uh I think anytime a back like Gibbs is compared to Kamara it's like as high of a compliment as you can have I mean especially you know by an expert like that so uh I thought it was really good the drop though was bad and 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 what I mean by that is, you know, when you're when you have a tough game, and there's no doubt this was tough. All, all, you know, this is impossible to prove, but I believe there were only three teams in in college football capable of beating Tennessee and Knoxville Saturday: Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. That's the list. No one else—not Michigan, not Clemson, not USC—anybody else. Only Alabama, Ohio State, or Georgia were capable. Of winning that game and I'm not sure any of the three would have uh, but for Alabama to win your best players have to play big Will Anderson statistically a no-show to be honest to be honest just statistically a no-show Gibbs drops a ball the most dependable receiver Alabama's got the most dependable hands drops a ball he catches it maybe the game's decided Will Reichard Miss, miss the kick at the end, uh, and, and 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 just a few weeks ago, I was bragging on you never even consider will missing a kick that's crucial, but the best players didn't make the play when it mattered, and again, you you, you factor that into what we talked about earlier in the show, Clint. I don't know how Alabama was what was tied with uh, with seconds to go in this game when you factor all that in, and, and, and frankly. It's simply a testament to Bryce Young, frankly.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, because there were there were still some drops. Cameron Latou had a drop. Uh, you know, Trayshawn Holden had a terrible drop. You know, the Jameer Gibbs one, and then somebody else, uh, Jermaine Burton, I think. Maybe Burton, maybe Burton. I remember. I
0: think Burton, maybe early. Uh, yeah. He had a pretty big catch. You know, kind of late, but uh, hey, one 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 last uh, point I'll make before we. Uh, uh, you know, start looking forward to Miss State, and, that, and that's that's simply this: uh, the wide receivers, Holden, Burton, and and even Brooks to an extent. Brooks played pretty well, by the way. But I'm sort of ready to move on to featuring those young receivers, I guess, is the best way to put it. I, I'm not saying bench the older guys, I'm just saying I'm not so sure the focus of the pass game doesn't need to be Prentice. And, and Bond and Jojo Earl uh, who are playmaking down the stretch here and, and not so much Burton and, 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 uh, and, and, and Ja'Cory uh, and, 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 and certainly uh, Holden. Uh, that's just myself. Maybe that's just frustration with the game Saturday, but I, I just have my eyes. I, I get, I get a little more excited when I realize that uh, 80 or 17 or 10 is being targeted than the older guys.
1: You're not wrong. Uh, and Here's the thing about that. I do feel like there sometimes is too much of an emphasis put on having veteran experience. And I think with everything out of them lost at the wide receiver position, you had to bring that in. And and I certainly think that Burton has had his moments. So this isn't really a a huge knock on him. But in in the past, when you didn't have something like the transfer portal, and and trust me, Tyler Steen, definitely paying off. Didn't have a great performance against Tennessee. Probably his worst outing of, of the season. But he's really stabilized the left tackle position, and I don't know where they'd be without him. Jameer Gibbs, uh, Henry Toto last year, you know, Eli Ricks hadn't done anything, but at the, the very least, you know, he he, he shorted up your depth a little bit at that spot. My point here is that you know, in in years past, when you didn't have the transfer portal at positions like wide receiver, Alabama has had to bring in like or had some young guys, and it's like you, you got to just let the rough edge drag, right? Let them grow and develop. But what you get out of that is. You've got this elite talent. Kobe Prentice, if he had been seeing all the snaps, he would have had some freshman. He's had some freshman mistakes. Isaiah Bond has had some freshman mistakes. But they would have been forced to get through that and and grow through that. When they make a freshman mistake, it's like, okay, we need to just turn and start relying a little bit more on our veteran guys uh, who we know kind of what we're going to get out of them. Um, but what I think that that's done is it can kind of hurt your the, the ceiling of a group because those guys aren't able to grow and develop to the same degree that they would Otherwise, if you get what I'm saying, Uh, grow through some things instead of, hey, we'll just use other options if you can't run the right route or you don't know when to sit down in a zone. Prentice started off heavy usage early in the season. Then he kind of dropped off there for a while because he was making a couple of freshman mistakes. And then you realize in some of these games recently, he's really stepped up and he's become this guy. It's like he could have been this guy more. He could have been more by now if he had been continuing to having to play and work through some of those things. I don't think he was doing anything that was going to be bad enough to to lose you a football game, running the wrong route, and you, it's an incompletion. I mean, it's not good. It can stall a drive, and it can lose you a game, but it's not like he was fumbling the football or making some boneheaded mistake, uh, you know, trying to jump on a punt return uh, that was not touched by anybody, you know, not pulling that kind of thing. The the point, I guess, I'm trying to make is we did see Alabama a few years ago with Tua below his freshman year, You had that dynamic group of receivers that came in. You had guys like Robert Foster and Cam Sims, the veteran guys who clearly did not have the same ceilings as those other guys. You know, you saw over the course of the season, those guys got a lot more involved. The young players did. And by the national championship game, you know, it's those guys who are making the touchdown catches. And and, I mean, Devontae Smith, the game winner to to win them the game, um, the walk-off. So, I do think that you're correct. I think they need to start transitioning more to some of those guys because I think the ceiling there is just so much higher. I mean, I'm a huge fan of of Isaiah Bond. I I like Kobe Prentice a lot. Certainly think he's growing. But, man, I think that Alabama, just the way that they're putting him out there, the timing of it, he's, he's seeing early snaps. I think they really, and it's just a hunch I haven't talked to anybody about him, I think that they really, really like this guy, and they're going to, get him more involved and he I would not be shocked at all by the end of the year he is a a dynamic receiver for Alabama it might not be this year might be next year but I I think you're going to start seeing more and more signs of it uh for Bryce Young's sake though um you know I certainly hope they get him more consistent pass catcher so Jimmy you got anything else before we hop out of here no
0: no I just agree about Bond uh what's impressed me about him is we haven't seen a lot of the huge plays yet you know that's coming because of his speed uh you know what what he needs to work on is, is is getting himself in space so he can use that extra gear no one else has uh but what impresses me about him is i didn't expect the great catch when he's covered well i mean you know the, the wide receiver skills that have nothing to do with the fact he's unbelievably fast i mean uh, uh I, I thought the throw and catch uh to Bond uh, on the bigger play this past weekend was as good a play as Alabama made all day and indicative of what we can expect from bond going forward. So again, I'd like to see more of the young receivers uh, more of a commitment to that because, uh, obviously the next five games will define this season. Alabama can make up for what happened Saturday. They can earn some redemption, but there's only one place that will happen. Clinton, that's in Atlanta.
1: You're a hundred percent right on that. And to close, um, I guess I don't want to end it on too bad of a note, but it, it's going to be wild to think about if you know you, you look at some of the national title winning quarterbacks at Alabama: Greg McElroy, Jacob Coker, Blake Sims, and it's like if if Alabama doesn't get Tua Tungavaloa and Bryce Young a national title as a starter, that will be pretty wild to think about. In comparison to some of the other ones who have have won one, Alabama's had a lot of great quarterbacks. You know, not I saying that those guys aren't deserving, but to me, the two best quarterbacks in school history, uh, neither one being the starter and getting a national title, would be really wild. But um, Jimmy, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. I know that people are are upset with the loss. I, I think that in the end, it, it doesn't matter. It, it's it's, it's, a, it's what it's done is it's completely eliminated any you know, of your room for error. And other than that, um, it's hard to beat a team twice. Uh, Alabama, Georgia proved that last year. I know that some people don't believe in that, but I think it's important that, that Bryce played in this football game, by the way, if you are looking at a potential rematch, because now you know exactly how Tennessee is going to try to attack Bryce. You know, if it would have been Jalen Milrow, you would have been going into that rematch saying, I mean, Bryce is a completely different guy. So we don't know what they're going to, and what Bryce does well, it's very hard to combat it. You know, it's just it, how do you stop, you know, that backyard? You, know, you try to pressure him, you think you're getting it, he's able to elude it, uh, make guys miss. It's just there's not a whole lot more you can do to to stop that kind of thing. But I think it gives Alabama an advantage. And I think that them putting this on tape as far as Henn and Hooker and the way that they attack their they. I'll, I'll tell you one team right now that's thrilled with the way that this whole thing transpired, that's Georgia. Because Georgia now gets to see exactly how they attacked Alabama and make sure that they don't fall into the same mistake. And they'll have it fixed. But at the same time, if Alabama is able to get Tennessee again in the SEC championship, they're also going to have that advantage as well. And I don't think you'll see them making the same mistake t- twice. I don't know what they'll do to try to fix it, but we'll we'll see. But, Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, brother.
0: Looking forward to Mississippi State Saturday and looking forward to the show next Monday. And uh, hopefully we'll have some uh, nothing but great things to say about how Alabama bounced
1: back. A hundred percent, man. I appreciate you as always. I appreciate all the listeners for listening in. If you haven't already, go uh, subscribe to Bama Insider. It's $10 for, you know, all the way up until next football season. So that's a a heck of a deal, or you can get four months for a dollar, you know, whichever you want to do. Try us out. I don't think you will be disappointed. Jimmy does a great job on the message boards. Uh, You know, I covered the team stuff. You got Joseph Hastings and Andrew Bone covering all the recruiting that you could ever want, possibly want to do a phenomenal job tag team in that. And then you got, you know, Kyle Henderson and and Mick Gillespie on the YouTube side. And so I think we got everything covered pretty well. The message board is rocking right now. The community has been fantastic and we appreciate that. So definitely go subscribe and leave us a five-star review on, you know, iTunes or Apple podcast, I guess is what it is now. Spotify, wherever you listen, go leave us a five-star review. Tell us how much you're enjoying the show. And that way we can kind of tell our bosses and they can say, you know what? We do do need to make sure that no matter what you guys got time carved out on Mondays to to record. Hopefully Jimmy, we're in here next week talking about a huge bounce back, like you said. And once again, we appreciate you guys tuning in. This is the BAM on three show and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.